In 2002, you may remember, all the smart people in Washington assured us, in fact, commanded us to believe that Saddam Hussein possessed weapons of mass destruction, chem, bio, maybe nuclear. And the next year, on the basis of those claims, we invaded Iraq. But it turns out those claims were false. Saddam did not possess those stockpiles. But here's the interesting thing. The people who told us that, who commanded us to believe them, never apologized. There was no contrition. There was certainly no punishment. And because there wasn't, those people continue to ascend the hierarchy within Washington. They now run the federal government. And as a result of that, these same unwise people have led us down the same unwise paths again and again in the 20 years since. So that doesn't work as a management strategy. Letting people get away with massive screw-ups and then promoting them. You'd hate to see something like that happen after COVID. You would hate to see the people responsible for the lockdowns and the vaccine strategy dividing the nation on the basis of medical status. You'd hate to see those people go unpunished, indeed be rewarded. And so in an effort to prevent that from happening, we're going to speak today to someone who called it right and was not rewarded for it. In fact, was reviled for it, but hasn't stopped. His name is Alex Berenson. He joins us on set now. Alex Berenson, great to see you. Good to see you, Tiger. I think the guilty should be punished, not mercilessly, but fairly in the way that you would spank a child and that the virtuous should be rewarded. And on this topic, you are the virtuous. So I just want to frame this conversation around a conversation that we had in January of 2022. And that conversation was described by the Washington Post as the most dishonest and dangerous segment ever to air on our show. Here's what it looked like. I have not said this to you before because I'm pretty careful and I'm pretty careful with the data, but these vaccines, these mRNA vaccines, the mRNA COVID vaccines need to be withdrawn from the market now. No one should get them. No one should get boosted. No one should get double boosted. They are a dangerous and ineffective product at this point against Omicron. The spike that they make your body make that you then produce antibodies to is not the Omicron spike. and. Earlier today, Tony Fauci said, we're not gonna give people monoclonal antibody products, because the first generation products, because they don't work against the Omicron spike. The same logic applies to these mRNA vaccines and giving people boosters, even if in the very short term, it knocks down infection rates, there's a boomerang effect. And that's what they're seeing in all these countries. Dishonest and dangerous. That was the Washington Post assessment of that clip right there. Given that it's been almost two years since you said that, how would you assess the accuracy of that statement? Um, it was quite accurate. Uh, it turns out that the overall picture is a little bit worse than I thought, because even when you give people, uh, you know, what are quote unquote uh, targeted mRNA vaccines that are supposed to be targeted to the new variants, which is what we're, you know, the strategy we're, we follow now, those don't really work very well in terms of making your body produce antibodies to the new variants either. So there's really no mRNA product that you can give at this point that is gonna be useful probably at all, certainly for more than a couple of months. The mRNAs also come with side effects that look worse than they did at that time um, when I said that to you in January, 2022. And there's something that we didn't know about at all, um, which is really the, long, the biggest uh, to me long-term risk with the mRNAs, which is that uh, they appear to make your body produce a kind of antibody that it normally only produces in response to an allergen like, like bee venom, yes. um, there's a specific subclass, it's called the IgG4 antibody, that people who've, who've been repeatedly given mRNA, it, it looks like three shots is sort of where the, where the, where the switch comes on. Um, if they're then infected, a, a number of these people will produce uh, this IgG4 in volume. And 
frankly, I would say even immunologists and virologists have no idea what that means long term. Now, I don't want to overstate the risks here because we don't know what they are. And Omicron is very mild in general for most people. Most people shake it off, uh, you know, after a few days, certainly a couple weeks, even if they're not particularly healthy. But this is a real risk. Has there ever been a, an effective and safe mRNA product that you're aware of? No, no. I mean, these, these products were nowhere near uh, reaching the market before COVID. Uh, they were rushed onto the market supposedly as the answer to COVID in, you know, in December of 2020 on the basis of large, let's acknowledge it, very large clinical trials, but clinical trials that had only lasted a few weeks, only generated a few weeks of safety data after the second dose. Um, they appeared to work in early 2021. They certainly do cause the body to make a lot of spike protein and thus a lot of antibodies to the spike protein. And in the short term, you get a decrease in infections. Um, to me, the real, uh, I'll say mistake, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sort of impute uh, anything more than that. But let's say the real mistake was made in the summer of 2021 when it was very clear that the vaccines were not working as promised and infections were starting to go up. Um, and we saw this in, you know, you, I, we talked about this a lot in the summer yes. of 2021. Um, we saw this in Israel in the summer of 2021 before anywhere else because Israel had vaccinated more of its population more quickly than anybody else with the Pfizer mRNA vaccine. And so what happened was instead of everybody pausing and saying, you know what, let's take a breath here and let's see what we might need to do next. Should we, should we try a different type of vaccine? Um, do, we need to, do we need to move away from vaccines because this is a respiratory virus that mutates quickly and maybe that's not the, maybe, maybe an intranasal vaccine, maybe there's something we can do. The Biden administration um, and most of the rest of the world, but really led by the Biden administration said two things. We're gonna give people a third shot, a booster, which had not been which had, which had been tested on, I believe at that time, a couple of thousand people worldwide. Um, and there was no, not even medium term safety data about the booster. And that upset two of the senior scientists at the FDA who regulate vaccines so much that they announced their um, retirement within a few days after the Biden administration um, you know, said, we're gonna do this booster in mid August. And the second thing, which to me is even more incomprehensible and wrong was they said, we're going to have mandates. We're gonna force essentially all working age Americans that we can reach um, to be vaccinated. Once it was clear, it didn't work. Once it was advertised. clear, it didn't work as advertised. That at best, you were gonna get a few months of protection. So that's the point at which what I'm willing to believe was a mistake looks much more like a crime. Uh, it was an aggressive policy decision. and and. One of the things that I've concluded is that one reason the Biden administration may have done this is because Uncle Joe, as I like to call him, looks so terrible in the aftermath of the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. So we, that's the other thing that's happening in the summer of 2021. We leave and, you know, a month later, the Taliban are in Kabul and there are Afghans hanging off of airplanes. And the United States looks as bad as it has since probably Jimmy Carter and, you know, 1980s, in 1980 or Iran. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so Joe Biden needs to prove he's doing something. Now, the reason that I've, that I've reached this conclusion is let's take the Biden administration's theory about the vaccines at face value, which is not enough Americans are being vaccinated. 
Um, and that's why we're having this Delta spike and the unvaccinated may be a danger to the vaccinated, which, by the way, is not a great argument for vaccines if it's true. But so so you're the Biden administration. You think you've got to get Americans vaccinated. OK, who dies from COVID, Tucker? Very old people and, you know, people who are really sick if they're younger. OK. The vaccine mandates were workplace mandates. They only covered Americans who were healthy enough to be in the workforce. Almost definitionally, those people are very, very low risk from COVID. The people making this policy were not stupid. They knew that. They, they had to know that even if the vaccines worked as advertised, which they knew they didn't work as advertised, you weren't going to be able to reach whatever tiny rump of unvaccinated right. elderly people there were with these mandates. And there were few, very few the, unvaccinated elderly. That's one of the great, you know, sort of lies of the, you know, the, the elite media is that there were a lot of unvaccinated elderly people in red states. It's not true. The differential is in people mostly under 65. Right. So, so even if the vaccines had worked as advertised and even if the mandates hadn't been unconstitutional and wrong, they wouldn't have reached the people, if you'd wanted to save people using the Biden administration's theory, this, it should have been, if you want a social security check, you need to be vaccinated. That's, that's what would have gotten whatever you know, few unvaccinated elderly people there were. And so when you make a decision that's that bad, even taking your incorrect policy assumptions into account, there's gotta be another reason Do for it. Do we know, before we get to what that other reason might be, um, who made that decision? Who drove that decision? We don't. We don't. We know that for most of early 2021, the Biden administration was saying no mandates, no vaccine passports. You know, there was this discussion of, of private vaccine passports, of state vaccine passports, a few states. Well, they attacked anyone who suggested that they might that's, institute, including me. That's, I remember that very well. That's correct. Meanwhile, the states were sort of pushing them. There was this idea the federal government's going to be hands off and we're certainly not going to require mandates. I mean, Biden said that explicitly. And at some point in in July 2021, this started to be discussed. And in a matter of weeks, without a congressional hearing, without uh, you know, a policy roundtable, without anything, it went from this is not something we're gonna do. We don't we we we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna give people a shot and a beer. There were all these sort of ridiculous theory, uh, you know, you know, ridiculous um, incentive programs, which to me were completely wrong too, because you're trying you're essentially trying to bribe people into taking a pharmaceutical product. But but those are better than mandates. It went from, we're never gonna do this, to we're doing it, we're doing it to, I mean, Biden didn't say punish, but he did say, I'm frustrated with the unvaccinated. And it was a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It was he a pandemic. Americans for a Chinese virus. Yes, he did that too. So, so he, um, so, so in this period of weeks, this enormously important consequential policy decision um, both from a health point of view and, frankly, from a constitutional civil liberty, liberties point of view, got got pushed through with no public discussion at all. Biden just comes out on September 9th and says, I am going to impose workplace mandates. You think this was an effort to divert attention away from a foreign policy failure? Uh, I think that's part of the reason why. I think they wanted to show him doing something, something other than sitting at an empty table in the Situation Room looking at screens. Wouldn't it be better to do something constructive, useful, life-affirming? Is, is that how it works? <laughs> no, but like, here's a massive screw-up in Southwest Asia. We're going to have a massive screw-up here so you don't think about it. It was also very popular, not just with the Democratic base, with the media, uh, the people... Remember, 
for the previous six months, there had been the unvaccinated are stupid, the unvaccinated. Then it became the unvaccinated can get you sick. Oh, right? yeah. So there was they're, they're dirty. They're they dirt. can kill you. That's and they right. deserve to die. There were ethicists seriously arguing whether unvaccinated people deserve to be sort of pushed to the back of the triage line if in, if the hospitals overflow. Well, which of course they never were did. denied organ transplants. That a lot is, of them I interviewed them. That is also true. Yeah. Yes. Because they weren't vaccinated. So, so this was a popular decision too. Never, you know, he he got to do something popular. Yep. Um so in so now I mean it's almost hard to hear all this. Maybe that's one of the reasons most people aren't talking about it because it's so painful to hear it. But has there been any concerted effort by big media organizations to figure out what exactly happened and to look at this honestly. <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely. I'm laughing because, uh, you know, for two years I've been saying to people, look, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be smeared the way I was smeared. Fine. You don't want to, you don't even want to write about vaccine efficacy. Fine. Here's a story you can write. Literally billions of vaccine doses, mRNA vaccine doses were paid for and never used. It was a billions? Stra- billions. By my best guess, about 5 billion doses were made by Pfizer and Moderna and about 3 billion were used. And all those other doses were paid for or, you know, or will be paid for when there, there, there may be a few more still to be delivered in the next couple of years to the EU. So that's 2 billion doses, probably about $40 billion just literally poured down the drain. Now, that's, a, that's an estimate, but it's an estimate sort of based on the publicly available data. Because what happened was... In, so remember, the, the, the initial course is two doses. Um, in April of 2021, the J&J vaccine, um, which is a different, uh, it's a different delivery system. Uh, it's not mRNA. Uh, it's a different biotechnology. Comes under pressure. People, you know, it can cause this very unusual um, uh, uh, but terrible side effect that where, you, where you get blood clots in your brain. And, you know, that, no one wants blood clots in their brain. So, so J and J, which was going to be, which was, which was viewed sort of as the, an easier vaccine to administer, only one dose, uh, didn't need to be refrigerated the same way. You know, uh, there was this idea for, let's say, for homeless people or for people who maybe you couldn't, you were going to have a hard time convincing to t- take a second dose, or for poorer countries where the refrigeration was an issue, J and J was going to be a good alternative. J and J sort of came off the table after April 2021, and there was this huge push. We're going to get everybody in the world two mRNA doses, and then the booster. We're going to get everybody in the world three RNA doses. Even, even after it became obvious to me that this wasn't working, there were the fights in the fall of 2021. Were should the U.S. get a booster before you know some African country gets its first dose? Right. This is such a great technology. You know who's going to get these these supplies? So the companies ramped up and they made a ton and they sold it. You know, they basically said to the governments that wanted it, if you want it, you've got to pay for it before we make it. Um, you know, not, not like you have to cut the whole check, but you have to agree contractually. The down payment on your mRNA. Exactly. You, you want it. You agree that when it's done, we deliver it. You take it. And so, and so that's what the governments agreed to. Not just the U.S. This was, this was the EU. And then there was this thing called COVAX where... Uh, where the companies um, sold vaccine to, you know, to poorer countries that the U.S. paid for in some cases or, or, you know, or other organizations paid for. Okay, the point is, after late 2021, after it became clear that the boosters had stopped working, demand basically fell off a cliff. People said, you know, fool me, fool me twice, shame on you. 
but we're but I'm not taking a second booster. And ever since the spring of 2022, there's been a basically, you know, outside of the like the deep blue states, even in Europe, there's very little demand. Pediatric demand so low. So the point is, these companies, they'd ramped up, they'd made it, and they they said we have contracts with you. You're going to pay us, and the government's paid. Why didn't the government say, I'm sorry, your product doesn't work? Well, that's not, that wasn't one of the contract outs. There was no, there was. So you're saying that all of this proceeded for a full year in the face of overwhelming evidence that it didn't work and that it harmed people because it was a political diversion. That may be true. I have no way of knowing. I do, however, have sympathy for the people who say, wait a second, there's something else going on here. (laughs) I mean, and I know it's, they're easy to mock and, but like. I, you this know, is a I lot to take attention away from Afghanistan. Right. No, I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say the evidence, the evidence that the vaccines don't work has been around since, you know, depending on, depending on how you want to argue it since the summer or fall of 2021. The evidence that they're dangerous, you know, is slower to develop and the risks are more subtle than the people. I knew someone yes. who died of a heart attack in January of 2021 and was told, and his family was told by the doctors that that's vaccine death right there. I know two other people who I'm really close to who had heart attacks after taking it. And that's just my little world, which is very small. So like, so it was what, definitely so, so, out there. So what people would say is people have heart attacks. Yeah, but not, I mean, I've lived here for 54 years. I've never, you know, had three people I know have heart attacks in like a short period of time, days after taking the vaccine. That The reason that I push back on this is if the danger was more obvious, it would be easier to make the case that I'm making that this technology is, you know, is not safe or effective, right? Like I, I don't, see, this is where I guess I'm a little different than maybe than you are. I, I don't believe that this entire regulatory apparatus would ignore screaming danger signs. Okay, I, I, we, and I don't believe doctors would. I don't. I, I think that the problem is that the danger. But it are, seems like there are screaming dangers. I mean, maybe I'm just totally imagining it. I'm, you know, not an epidemiologist, but I mean, that's that's a lot for the small group of people I know. And moreover, it does seem like there has been a spike in, in unexplained death. I mean, so so let me give you a counterexample, which yep. is there's a there's a military, uh, you know, the military obviously was very highly vaccinated, and the military reports um, its healthcare statistics uh, and uh, by year, like you know, pretty pretty gran- at a pretty granular level, and it. And I've looked at those, okay, because once I found that, I was like, wow, if there's a signal, it's going to pop out here. Yes, and it doesn't pop out. Okay. I, by the way, I'm not saying to you that the vaccines can't kill people, that they don't have autoimmune, uh, that they don't cause autoimmune problems in some people, that they don't cause strokes in some people, that they, we now have evidence they cause seizures in some little kids, which, which, which the, I wrote that story about three weeks ago in the, on my, on Unreported Truths on my, on my website or, you know, on my Substack, And two, about a week later, the New York Times wrote the story and they quoted people saying, quoted, doctors saying, oh, well, you know, the vaccines are going to cause fevers in some kids. So we would expect this. You would expect this? You didn't tell any parents this until the FDA published a paper where everyone, where they had to admit it. So this is, I mean, I guess I'm arguing against myself. Yeah, you are pretty (laughs) persuasively. (laughs) But, but. There are signals. There are things that have turned up. Let me just, so like, why would it fall to you 
to look at the data? Why would it fall to me to like make guesses about where is the national federally led effort to get to the bottom of the effects of these vaccines on the entire population? There isn't one. How can there not be? I'm just a reporter. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Like where's, where's the CDC? The CDC is promoting these. They're still promoting them for children for a virus that can't touch healthy children that all kids basically have had by now. And when I say can't touch, I'm almost willing to say that with no, uh, you know, you know, again, one in a million, right? There's, there's a slight, slight chance, but, but it can't touch healthy children. Every kid has had it. And we know now these vaccines can cause, or there's a strong signal that they can cause seizures. What are they doing all over the rest of the world? They're not doing this. Okay. So I don't know what we're doing. Okay. I don't, I think. I tend to believe policy gets set, people fall in love with it, they just won't admit they've made a mistake. So there are no ethical people at CDC, like none? I mean, because what you're describing, I'm just using your descriptions, which are highly informed since you do this for a living, you're describing like uh, something that's horrifying and evil. And like, why doesn't, just just the facts that you stated, I'd say that's evil. So where are the CDC employees who are saying like, I'm not participating in this? So I don't know. I guess what they're saying is nobody, no kids are getting the shots anyway, so it doesn't matter. So we're just gonna, we're, here's, here's, what, here's what they say publicly, which is, yes, we know there's a risk differential here. We know that this is much you know, more dangerous to older people, COVID, I mean, but if we offer differential recommendations, that will confuse people because you know th- th- this they do think, they do think everyone is stupid. Um, so. So we, if we offer differential recommendations, it will make the old people less likely to take it. If we tell a two-year-old, the mother of a two-year-old not to have her kid get it, then it makes an 80-year-old less likely to take it. And we want the 80-year-old to take it. That, that's basically what they, the excuse they use. I admit it doesn't sound like a very good excuse. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And you do feel like there's, again, something else going on here. What is this doing to the population's attitudes about vaccines more broadly? Interestingly, it's not changing as much as people on either side would say, because Americans, I think, generally feel they've had good experiences with vaccines pre-mRNA. Now, of course, there's a there's a group of Americans who, you know, whose children developed autism and they blame that on the vaccines. I don't see strong evidence there, but I know that's a very controversial topic. I, I will say I don't see strong evidence there. But in general, Americans again, despite what, what both the, you know, the anti-vax community and the sort of vaccine fanatic community says, have been generally over the years pretty willing to listen to the CDC's recommendations. Now, there's some evidence that the mRNAs, uh, what's happened with them has made overall vaccinations a little bit less common. But what it's really made is mRNA vaccinations a lot less common. So people, one of my core beliefs is that people are not stupid. And people differentiate between these two new vaccines that came out from Pfizer and Moderna based on months of testing and were promised to fix COVID and didn't and everything else. But people may not be stupid, but doctors obviously are and unethical because (laughs) I know for myself, I would never go to a doctor who pushed mRNA vaccines. What does that say about you? If you're a doctor, it's your job to know what these things do. You had no idea and you pushed them anyway. So how many people are deciding, again, I'll speak for myself. I'm I'm not going to any doctor who did that. I have contempt for those people. I don't want to be around them. And it's totally changed my view of medicine. Are a lot of people reaching that conclusion or am I just like in the insane 2%? I I think there's been a, 
it's hard for me to, I haven't seen data on this. I, w- I will say this, and you know, my wife is a physician. Yes. Um, I think, and she never liked these vaccines, but, but I, I think that, um, I think that doctors right now are not pushing these at all. On, but why has no one apologized? That's what I don't understand. Why does no one ever apologize for anything, Tucker? But nothing gets, but this is science and science is based on truth, period. That's what it is, it's the pursuit of truth. And if we get something wrong, we admit it immediately or else it's not science. But they're not admitting it immediately. Therefore, it's not science. Therefore, it's like some weird witchcraft thing that I don't want anything to do with. Fair? So what these people would say is in 2021, the vaccines did some good. Since then, we don't know so much, but they'll point to charts. There's this one chart. It's the bane of my existence that appears to show that vaccinated people, you know, die from COVID even now at much lower rates than unvaccinated people. The problem with that is the two groups are not comparable. Okay, this is, and, and I don't want to spend 15 minutes boring you and your audience with the science behind this, but the two groups are not comparable. The reason we do clinical trials, a clinical trial is an artificial experiment, but it generates the only data you can truly trust. Okay, you take, two gr- you take a group of people, you split them in half, you have a computer, make sure that the two groups are completely equal or as close to complete. So, you know, if, if you're in one, then, uh, you know, then, then, then someone who's just like you in terms of smoking status and age and gender and, you know, history of heart disease, whatever, goes in the other group. Okay, you split, you take a big group, you split them up, you give, you give one group the vaccine or the drug, you give the other group a placebo, a sugar pill or a saline shot, you follow them, nobody knows who got what, and at the end, you can say, okay, this benefit came from the you know, vaccine or this injury, you know, this safety problem came from the vaccine. You need that data. The truth is we never really got that data about the mRNAs because we blew up the clinical trials much too soon. And so we're all arguing on the basis of incomplete information. And the people and and the uh, people who understand this are mostly on the pro-vaccine side. They mostly, either indirectly or directly, get money from Pfizer or the federal government or people with a giant stake in vaccines. And and so I am arguing a lonely battle here. You certainly are. But where? Okay. So leave the. And I should just remind our viewers who maybe haven't followed your career in the detail that I have that you waited a long time before even addressing questions about vaccines. I mean, you originally were just pointing out the disparities between what they were claiming about COVID and what the data were showing, as I remember. Yeah, yes. I didn't even think you wanted to get into the vaccine stuff, but you kind of had no choice. Yes. Right. So you were not like some anti-vaxxer going back with Bobby well, Kennedy 30 years. No. At all. So, um, but one common sense question that no one's ever adequately answered in my view is why weren't physicians in the public health community encouraging people to be healthier? <laughs> Especially when it became obvious, like the first week, that fat people were at a greater risk of dying. I, I, what could possibly account for their closing gyms, not say, promoting obesity in the middle of the COVID pandemic? What is that? So the pandemic became an occasion for social scientists to try a lot of public health measures that they wanted to try. <laughs> and, you know, one of those was sort of like, what signals are there that this is a serious illness? I mean, that was, I think masking was a huge part of that, the push mm-hmm. for masking. Um, we don't want to stigmatize, right? So, so although it's okay to stigmatize people who choose not to be vaccinated. Yeah, or who we, smoke cigarettes or whatever, that's right. Right. Yeah. That's right? We don't want to stigmatize uh, 
obese people, people who, you know, who don't take good care of themselves. So we're going to lie about where the risks are. We're going to pretend that some 25-year-old is at real risk from COVID. And I think the other, the other argument that they would make and did make at the time was, we think there's a real risk of hospital overrun. So if this spreads too quickly, remember, wait two weeks, flatten the curve. One of the things that I think wasn't widely understood was the people promoting that weren't saying we're not all going to get COVID because at the time they didn't realize how quickly they could rush a vaccine to market. Of course, we all got COVID anyway because the vaccine didn't work. But the idea was we're going to get COVID over time. So, the, you know, when people, the hospitals won't be overrun. And like that was sort of the number one concern back in March 2020 was hospital overrun. So to do that, you had to convince everyone to stay home in their view. You had to lock down everyone. And so that meant you had to lie about who was at risk. That was the original sin, Yes. right? The original sin of COVID was that, the original sin of the vaccines was pretending that they had been properly tested. Uh-uh. Okay, uh, I get all that, but it went beyond that. I mean, they actively prevented people from getting in better <laughs> physical shape, cardiovascular health. And then the, all the women's magazines, which are still influential, decided to put fat women on the cover and say, this is you're the new body ideal and the soap companies and the makeup companies. This was clearly an orchestrated attempt to make people think it was okay to be fat in the middle of a pandemic that was killing fat people. So that's the point where I'm like, hmm, actually they are trying to kill people. Because like, what could, no, I'm, I'm serious. Right. What right. could, if I, if I encourage my children to smoke cigarettes, maybe I'm trying to hurt them. Or maybe you're trying to sell cigarettes. Maybe if 60% of the country is fat and you're dove, you want to sell soap. Maybe, but like they'd never tried that before. There had never been a well, time Phil like... Well, Morris tried to sell cigarettes for a long time. Of course, but being fat, you know, no woman wants to be fat. And all the women's magazines spent decades telling women, you know, you shouldn't be fat. That's why they don't want to be fat. And then during COVID, it's like, no, no, be fat. I At the exact that, time when being fat could kill you. I think that trend I was see happening malice. before. Like, wow. I think that trend was happening before. I do. I, I, the, the, like, the DEI stuff on obesity. Which I agree, like obesity is, obesity is terrible for people in general. I mean, even if it doesn't... Look, I'm not, ju- I, I personally am not judging fatness at all. I'm just saying... No, but physically it's terrible. It's not good people. for you, right? Yes. And for public health authorities to be promoting it and stopping people from getting on the treadmill... <laughs> I don't know if they were... They they were discouraging people from going... Yes, they were closing gyms. But keeping liquor stores open. But keeping liquor stores open. And weed dispensaries. Uh, So that's the point where it's like, look, I'm not some kooky internet conspiracy guy, but how many signs do I need that you're trying to kill me before I say you're trying to kill me? I think people make bad decisions. (laughs) Yeah, but they're all consistent. It's like, they're all (laughs) pro-death. It's like, oh no, we're not going to spend any time working on therapeutics. At all? Well, they did. They came up with one that didn't work at all, remdesivir. But people were kind of trying all this different stuff, and like the media immediately jumped, you can't do that! How dare you try something other than the vaccine? And then, you know, I I interviewed this gym owner, Ian Smith, 20 times, and he's like, I just want people to work out, because that might help. Shut up, criminal! (laughs) That's right. And so, I don't know, like, I think it's important to be more like your dog. Your dog can't speak English. He has no idea what you're saying. He just watches you, and then he knows your intent. I'm watching them, and I can tell their intent, which is to kill me. What, no, what am I missing? Their intent is to make you feel good about yourself, even if it kills you. I don't see those as separate categories. They are, though. They are? Yeah. 
I don't know. You to firing die, a squad, opioid OD. One feels good, the other doesn't, but they both kill me, right? I, I, again, I, I, you're not going to get me to say it. No, I Because I don't really believe Look, it. I don't understand what happened during COVID but I, at all. And the last thing I'm going to do is going to speculate or say anything you know, that you I can't You speculate say. all the time. I do, but on, on this, like, as to motive, it always makes me uncomfortable to speculate. Though, of course, I do do it, yes. and I regret it every time I do it, because you can't know another person's motive. But you can watch what they do. Now, I got something for you, Tucker. I'm ready. This is, this is one of a kind. These are, these are four of the great villains of COVID. <laughs> I love you that. Can, you, Here, you I'm going to put this the up to the camera. The next time you're shooting. And you tell me what this says and what it means. Okay. Fauci and Gottlieb and Slavitt and Borle. Now, now everyone knows who Tony Fauci is. Now the bottom guy's a veterinarian, I think. Uh, he is. He's also the head of uh, the world's largest, or what was the world's largest in 2022, <laughs> oh, pharmaceutical so company. Great. Andy Slavitt was the senior advisor for COVID response under the Biden administration from uh, in early 2021. And Scott Gottlieb is the former head of the FDA who left the FDA and three months, I believe three months of the day later, which was the earliest he could, joined the Pfizer board, where he is a senior uh, board member of Pfizer. He also is on CNBC all the time, uh, where he always manages to say something good about Pfizer's products. Um, so these three of these four men, not Tony Fauci, are defendants in my lawsuit against the Biden administration and Pfizer for their uh, unconstitutional efforts to silence me and get me thrown off Twitter in 2021. So, so can I just, that, that, thank you for that. I will wear this with pride or without pants. Um, but either way, I will have this on. It's one of a kind. It, it leads to my, to a question I've been wanting to ask you since we've had so many interviews over the years, but like two questions. One, you became very focused. I mean, you were a successful novelist. Your books are in my shelves at home, actually. Um, former New York Times reporter, like you had this whole life that had nothing to do with any of this. And you just like basically threw it all away to go after this story. Why did you do that? And what have the effects been? Uh, I did it because I didn't have any choice. Because it's like you take one step and one step and one step. I remember once being in a well, rap. You don't have a choice. You go write your novels. No, no, you don't have a choice. If you're a certain type of person or a certain type of reporter. Um, I remember I was once in Iraq in 2004. Um, and like, I'm not a particularly physically courageous person. But you know, it's a war zone. And like, and I was talking to a, a uh, colonel, a lieutenant colonel, who, who is a, like, you know, tough guy. And we were sort of out there, and he said, you know, this is just what you do. Like, you just, all of a sudden, you're in the middle of it. <laughs> like, you should take a step at a time, and then there's kind of no going back. And I pursued the story and the truth to the best of my ability. But you weren't even a reporter at the time. You'd given up reporting yeah, and you were writing novels. I'd always been a reporter. I, you know, I even, even the novels would be better if they were a little bit less reported and a little bit more flights of fancy. Uh, that's my one regret as a novelist is that I could never, you know, I, not that I was, I mean, I'm writing about Islamic terror and, you know, in various, they're spy novels about modern events, but a really great novel, whatever the nominal category has some magic in it, and yes. that's something hard for me to put in my novels. I'm very fact grounded. And so, so when, and I, you know, I write about this on Unreported Truths. Like we talked a tiny bit about, you know, the baby bus, which is something I'm now interested in um, uh, because, because 
I look for stories that, you know, as an individual reporter who's not working for the New York Times, I can, you know, I can do in a, in a credible, reasonable way. You know, it'd be hard for me right now to go to Israel because I don't have a big organization backing me up if I get shot in the head or something, right? right? Um, so, so, so these are, COVID, believe it or not, is very data-driven and is a story that, uh, you know, I could, I could follow. I look for stories where I think, um, I think I can add something to the conversation because, because the mainstream media, usually for political reasons, doesn't want to report on it. And, and I look for stories that are important. And COVID obviously was the most important story. Do you look for stories that will make you super unpopular with everyone you've ever known during um, the course of I, your th life? That's just an added bonus. <laughs> that was an added losing, bonus. losing three quarters of my friends right. and, and messing up my marriage was just an added bonus. But you kind of knew that, I, I don't mean to pick at an open wound, but you kind of knew that going in because anyone who asked, I mean, I remember the first couple posts you wrote on this were greeted with ferocity. People were very I, angry I don't like being told what I can and can't ask. That's a spirit. By anybody. And certainly not by the Biden administration or Pfizer. Okay. And that, and the, you know, this lawsuit, I, you know, we have, we have filed our initial suit. They have filed a motion to dismiss all three of the, which are the federal defendants. Andy Slavitt is his own defendant. And then uh, Al, uh, Albert Borla, who's again, the chairman of Pfizer and Scott Gottlieb have their own lawyers. I, I guarantee you they're, you know, I guarantee you they, this is a good day for the law firms, right? But, uh, or, so they've, they've tried to dismiss it. We've now filed a response to the motions to dismiss, which I think is very strong. Um, and by the way, we're now asking for third party discovery, meaning we want Twitter to turn over everything uh, that Pfizer or the White House said about me. And Elon, I'm hoping, Elon, you'll hear this and you will tell your lawyers to do this and not fight the third party subpoena. Um, but so if we can get past the motion to, to dismiss, and I believe we can, we will get the discovery on what the White House and Pfizer were saying to each other about me and possibly somewhat more broadly in the summer of 2021 about the vaccines. And, and that the world needs to know what was really going on, why everything changed, yes. why the public attitudes towards vaccine skeptics got so much harsher, why there was a push for boosters, why there was a push for mandates. I, I'm not really exaggerating when I say that this lawsuit is maybe the only chance that, we'll, that we're ever going to have. At Has that. anyone come up to you in your personal life to say, you know, you, congratulations, you've been vindicated. You took a lot of crap. But you turned out to be right. One person uh, in in my town uh, has said to me, "You know what? You were right about the lockdowns. No one's ever said it about the vaccines. I think people just want to forget the vaccines. Whether the, most people were vaccinated, obviously, um, and they certainly want to forget what they thought and said to unvaccinated people." Um, yeah, there's a there's a fascist strain right beneath the surface that I did not perceive until that yes. moment. And it was very distressing. I, I mean, one thing my wife said to me, I can't remember when, and she was right. She said, you know, there's a large part of the country, <laughs> must have been 2021, uh, that, that if Tony Fauci said to them, this will just end if we just burn Berenson at the stake. Just yeah. burn him at the stake. That's all we got to do. Like, there would have been people with pitchforks on our doorstep. Um, you know, and she's Canadian. I think she was, she was although the Canadians Were behaved you? terribly. <laughs> Well, the Canadians are very easy to control. I mean, it doesn't take much. Uh, but Americans, I well, you're you're from this country. You grew up here. Yeah. Were you surprised? Yes. Oh, this is 
this is what I wanted to say to you earlier when we were talking uh, herd instinct. Okay, we, we, again, we were talking about the baby yes. breast and how easy it is and why parents don't challenge, let's say, as you mentioned, you know, uh, DEI stuff in classrooms that they yeah. might not like for their kids. I mean, just, just go back 3,000 years, okay, when somebody committed a crime. There were no prisons, right? So how did you punish that person? You left them. Yeah. You left them on their own without the protection of the herd, and mostly those people died, right? We, are, we think we're lone wolves, but we're herd animals. And if you can get you know, 60, 70, much less 80 or 90% of the population moving a certain way, it gets harder and harder to stand up. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I think... I think that force is overwhelming, and it doesn't. And, and I think the U.S. actually has more people willing to stand up, but that doesn't mean it has a lot. So, given that, what's the next iteration of COVID? I mean, we're moving into flu season. Yeah. I, so, so I don't know what's going to happen with COVID. If, if Omicron stays this mild, I, I, you know, it'll just be something. It'll, you know, it'll. It'll run through nursing homes sometimes. It'll hurt some people. Assuming the IgG4 thing doesn't become a true problem, there will be people who will be sick. You know, I personally, I get, you know, I get flack from this from some of my readers. I think Paxlovid actually works. I think they will come up with some more antivirals. I mean, again, how do we get out of HIV? Not a vaccine. Right. Uh, we got effective antivirals. And, and, you know, I think there will be some more antivirals for COVID. I, 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 it should be manageable. The, t- the two big issues going forward actually are less to do with COVID and more to do with, are they going to try to push mRNAs for other respiratory viruses, which they clearly are. Moderna, you know, that's Moderna's business. And Moderna's stock is down 85% since its peak, which was basically the same day as the Biden administration's mandate uh, in September 2021. But they still are in business. They're still a large, powerful company. And they want to sell you Has anybody mRNA ever vaccines. checked... I mean, has the SEC, for example, ever checked the buy orders from <laughs> policymakers or their spouses who were aware that that mandate was coming? That's a great question. I don't know. That's that's. I wonder if that's. It's probably not even visible, but uh, but it's a great question to ask. Do you think that um, we will ever have lockdowns again? I, it would have to be way worse. I mean, there literally have to be people dying in the streets. I think. I think that. I think. In general, there are a lot of people who are much more suspicious of the public health establishment. So we've been inoculated were, weirdly, that, against that. As we should be. So, and the other, but, the, but here's the other thing. You, you know, you say, well, uh, I won or my position won. It's not really true. Um, here's the virology community continues to push gain-of-function research. They continue to push these, uh, you know, wandering into caves looking for the worst possible virus. I mean, it's increasingly clear that virology is toxic and dangerous, at least this part of it, this emerging infectious diseases part of it, because you're much more likely to cause a pandemic than to prevent one, either by messing with viruses in labs to make them more dangerous, which is really the most insane idea possible, or just going to these caves, like where the bats are not bothering anybody and looking for dangerous viruses. And here's the, here's the like to me, one of the best pieces of evidence for this. Let's, let's pretend that the, uh, that the Chinese lab is not the source. Of, so by, by source, I don't mean that it was fully created there. I mean, they were probably experimenting with it and it leaked, okay? Well, I wanna be yes. clear what I'm saying. But let's pretend that let's pretend that this didn't somehow escape from a Chinese lab. Let's pretend that the people who say that this came out of a, 
uh, a farm in Wuhan, or uh, uh, the a wet market in Wuhan. A pangolin, yes. A wet market in Wuhan are actually telling the truth. Yeah. Okay. The best thing you can say then is that this effort, led by you know Peter Daszak and uh, you know funded by the U.S. government that Tony Fauci was aware of, that the Chinese were very invested in, that was supposed to help prevent the next pandemic, did nothing to prevent the next pandemic, even though the next pandemic happened under their noses. That's the, that's the absolute best case for what happened in 2020. We funded a ton of research that did nothing to help us predict what the next problem would be or stop it when it happened. So what on earth are we doing? It's just like the vaccines, at this, certainly at this point, all downside, no upside. The rational person stops gambling in that position. Yes. But go to a casino, Tucker. There are a lot of irrational people. But if you're promoting that, and if you're at any point along the chain of COVID policy that I think inarguably got a lot of people killed and wrecked our economy and destroyed a generation of children who are now illiterate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Has anyone ever been punished for that? No, 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 absolutely not. Um, has anyone not been rewarded for it? They all seem so like what? Can you tell us what these four guys are doing right now? Sure. Well, Tony is, a, you know, he's given talks, I, I believe, at six figures a pop. I, I he still has Secret Service protection. He still has Secret Service protection. My neighbor in D.C. just took a picture of him in our dog park in northwest Washington, followed by Secret Service detail. Yes. he does. No, he certainly does. Um, Do you have Secret Service protection? <laughs> I have a... I have a couple dogs that bark a lot. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, uh, so Fauci works at Georgetown. He's yeah, a millionaire. Yeah, Scotty Gotti is uh, still, he has protection. Pfizer pays a couple hundred grand a year for his protection because he's so much at risk. Um, uh, uh, Gottlieb has a security detail? He certainly does. Um, you can find the details about it in the Pfizer uh, proxy statement. Um, uh, he, he's on all the boards, he's on CNBC, he's never apologized for slandering me or anything else. Uh, he's doing just fine. Slavit uh, runs a healthcare-focused venture fund uh, that funds things like getting uh, trans medicines to people, to young teenagers in states uh, where they aren't going to necessarily need to be seen by a doctor. True story. That's one of the, that's one of the, and I may be exaggerating slightly, but that is the point of one of his uh, venture capital investments. Uh, and Albert Borla remains the chairman and CEO of Pfizer Incorporated, um, you know, and gets about $35 million a year. So all by of them the, are fat, happy, and continuing to spread evil. Yes. By the way, these two gentlemen, Scott Gottlieb and Albert Borla, their lawyers accused me of being in it for the money. So, for your, for, from your substack. From my substack, yes. Do you make more or less than $35 million a year on your substack? It's close, but a little less. Um, so, yeah, so, oh, well, by the way, one, just to go back to all the, you know, the 5 billion doses, two, 2 billion, you know, poured down the drain, uh, the companies are paid for. No reporter, actually a few reporters in Germany, They've, they were whatever, for whatever reason, they're a little more interested in like the federal purse, have noted that, you know, hundreds of millions of doses in Europe were wasted. But I've never seen a story like that in the United States. And ironically, you know, you can find tons of stories about how Africa was going to be the next terrible wave, even into 2021, when it should have been clear to everybody that, the, you know, the African demographic is so much younger that there is basically zero risk from COVID. Um, 
you can still find all these stories about how we have to get vaccines to Africa. We have to, the, the number of uh, mRNA vaccines or COVID vaccines in general taken in Africa is you know, near zero, certainly outside of South Africa. And as my joke, it's not really a joke, this is the first time in history when rich white people have demanded to be the, you know, the guinea pigs um, for, uh, you know, for an experimental medicine. Yeah. Well, national suicide. <laughs> um, and speaking of, la- last question, but you, you alluded to this a second ago. Your new interest or one of your new interests is in the population and its decline because people are not having kids. Yes. What, what's the overview? So... I mean, obviously, this has been going on for a while. We've been below replacement birth rates in the U.S., maybe a little closer in the U.S., but, you know, in East Asia and Western Europe. Um, uh, but, you know, birth rates in general are trending down worldwide, too. You know, even Muslim countries, too, they're trending down. Um, but COVID seems to have accelerated this process. And I first got interested in it because my question was, you know, are the COVID vaccines or the mRNAs accelerating this fertility crisis? Because we know they can have an impact on menstrual cycles, and they seem to have at least a short-term impact on sperm uh, I, I don't know if it's production, but sort of production of healthy sperm. Um, my conclusion right now is you can't really find an mRNA effect because this is happening in China too, where, um, where uh, you know, which didn't use the mRNA. So, but, but all over the world, and certainly in the U.S. and, and, and in Europe, it's most visible in Europe and in East Asia, birth rates have suddenly gone off a cliff. I mean, the, the South Korean birth rate now is, is barely one-third of replacement level. And there doesn't seem to be a bottom to this. And I mean, it's really stunning in that it's happening across every culture or, you know, every religion, every ethnicity. The only thing that the countries have in common, you know, uh, attitudes towards women are different in these countries. The only thing that, that these countries have in common is that they're wealthy. That is, and- so you're saying, and I, now that I think about it, it's probably true, the birth rate in South Korea is lower than the birth rate in North Korea. <laughs> That's a great question, but probably true. I haven't, I haven't looked, but yes. I wonder if there's a clearer indicator of the health of a society than its birth rate. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly hard to square that with a healthy society, or you know, not a lot of anxiety among young people. And and the idea that this is this is happening in wealthy societies, but it doesn't seem to be driven by economics because you know there's still pockets of high fertility, ultra orthodox Jews, and yes. you know various other you know religious sects, and those people are very rarely wealthy. So it's a, so you know it's it's not a problem of lack of abundance. No, it's, it's, it's it's caused by abundance. It's, well, I, I mean, it, the richer you are, the fewer kids you have. Although at the very top, certainly in places like New York well, City, well, there's Elon, you see a, right? Okay. No, you see this where you where there is a little I'm bit. I'm trying of, my best. Kids but, is a luxury good yeah, at yeah. the very very top, but but not broadly. So I, you know, this is something I'm just beginning to explore. I, I know you want me to make some grand no, pronouncements just, about it, but I, I really, I really, I'm, I find it fascinating. It's obviously fascinating to readers, because um, I wonder what's more important than reproducing. The, right. Well, you know, I mean, my joke is it's the future of humanity's at stake. Now, obviously, we're not going to get to zero anytime soon, but but it's pretty striking. And somebody said to me yesterday, "Well, you know, it's about the Earth's carrying capacity," and that's just nonsense. I mean. We can support far more than eight billion people with. I, I wonder, though, you hear a lot of chatter um, about you know depopulation strategy. I don't know if it's a strategy. I doubt it was hammered out at you know Davos <laughs> or anything. But clearly, there's a depopulation instinct. Yeah, that's what's so bizarre, right? Clearly, I clearly, mean, it's. Let's look at the effects. I mean, if you're trying, if you cared about your country, you'd want people to have kids, right? 
Do you want your do you want grandchildren? Of course, because you love your children, right? So if you loved your population, you want them to have kids. I mean, is, I, I agree. It seems like a very basic idea that a healthy society continue, at least retains its population. And you know, the countries in East Asia are already beginning to shrink, amazingly. Now, Taiwan, Taiwan is shrinking. I mean, it's. And as Elon said to me, it was a, this was a few months ago, he said, you know, the demo, uh, you can make it very complicated demographically, but it's actually very simple. Multiply the current level of births right now by 85, and that's what the population will be in 85 years, assuming the trend doesn't continue. Right. So for a country like Taiwan, they have 130,000 births this year. They have 23 million people. 85 times 130,000 is about 10 million. So, uh, so, so that when I say they're not close to replacement level, I mean they're not close to replacement they're level. They're going extinct. Well, it, I mean, if that continued at that level, you would be, you know, you'd be down 90% in 100 years. I mean, that's that, it's pretty stunning. I, 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 look, these things can reverse. It, you look at, you know, popularly you know, the baby boom, you know, post World War II. There were tremendous, you know, growth in population in the U.S. and Japan and other countries. So, so these things can reverse, but there's no sign it's even stopping. Can I just throw one final thing at you? So, the the conventional view has always been, well, this is a result of birth control. It's become much more sophisticated and widespread in the past 50 years. But if you look at the rate at which people are like having sex, they're not having sex. They're not having sex. Young men not having sex. So, I mean, who saw that coming? <laughs> But that's probably about the darkest thing I can think of. Like, what is that? Right. Uh, that's part of this. I mean, I, you know, and it's funny, right? Because for a couple of years in the in the aughts, there was, oh, the internet is, you know, it's gonna like, there's gonna Tinder. They're all they're all gonna be screwing all the time. All the all the youth. It turned out that's exactly the opposite. It didn't happen at all. Um, and and which is worse? Uh, the latter is worse. Not is worse. I think way worse. Way worse. Uh, well, I just want to, first of all, thank you for the, for the lovely sweatshirt, which I will wear this afternoon. All right. And, um, and well, also to congratulate you on being vindicated. And no one else even even if no one else notices. No one else notices, but I noticed. Unreported truths, my friend. Dishonest and dangerous. <laughs> okay. Alex Berenson, thank you very much. Thank you, Tucker. Free speech is bigger than any one person or any one organization. Societies are defined by what they will not permit. What we're watching is the total inversion of virtue.